Jesus Christ, he is my living hope. We sing about it, we read about it, we know that it's true. Would you find the Old Testament book of 1 Kings? We're going to be reading uh, chapter 21, be reading verses 1 through 16. 1 Kings chapter 21, love for you to find that in your own Bibles or if you've got a smartphone with you or look underneath the chair, some of those uh, Bibles there as well. We'll have some of that on the screen, but some you may want to look for yourself as well. Maybe not everything on the screen today, but uh, we're glad to see you today. Thank you, Amanda, for your testimony. Appreciate you sharing with us, and uh, we love Amanda. She is one of us. She is representing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Parkway Baptist Church and many others as she serves in the country where she is, where she is uh, teaching children and involved in the community. We appreciate her. She is one of the heroes of the faith. And uh, we are always glad to hear her testimony. You can be involved. You can be involved and you can find, uh, uh, you can be a prayer partner with her. You can uh, be sure that uh, she has your email. She'll keep you informed of those things that she is doing. And uh, you can also, uh, you can give and you can help support. You want investment in ministry? Uh, this is one way in which you can do that. Your church is investing in her ministry. You can do that individually as the Lord leads. And I think there's some information there in your bulletin on how you might be able to do that. Three times I have been to the city and the country in which she is in. Have a heart for the folks who are there and appreciate her wonderful ministry that she has as well. Uh, we also today we're praying for, we have 53 teenagers and adults who are at youth camp this week and so we are praying for them and uh, uh, we miss them here today but know that they're being involved in worship and uh, they can know that we are praying for them. In fact, let's go ahead and take opportunity and I'm going to pray but I'd appreciate if you'd pray silently rather than one prayer, a couple of hundred prayers would be good and uh, we want to pray for Amanda, we want to pray for uh, the youth camp taking place and uh, also uh, for what's going to take place here today. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity that we have to worship you. We thank you, Father, because we know we serve a living Lord Jesus Christ, one who is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And we thank you for the life that we're able to have in Jesus. We thank you that we can come together and worship today and uh, look forward to many more celebrations together this summer and uh, pray for those who are traveling today for maybe other reasons as well. We certainly pray for our uh, teenagers and pray for our chaperones as they are gone. Thank you for the good number that they have. Thank you for the safe travel they've had thus far. Pray that you'll bring them safely home as well. Pray for the impact upon their lives. We pray among our number and others who are involved in the camp if they don't know Christ as their Savior and Lord or if they're not sure that they have a home in heaven, we pray that these will be the days in which they can know for sure, point to this time to where uh, they know that they have an eternal home and that Christ is living in their heart. Pray for all to be impacted, transformed because of the camp, because of the study, worship, and uh, fellowship activity that is taking place as well. Now, Father, we pray for all those in this room, all those who may be listening online today, Father. We Thank you for the worship that has been lifted today. We thank you that you have already heard our prayers and we have the opportunity to hear from you, from your word. Help us to be in tune to what you would have to say to us. May our lives be transformed because we've been in your presence. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. We are in 1 Kings chapter 21. Going to be reading verses 1 through 16. This now is the word of God. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. 
Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed? That you eat no food. And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, it will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, let your heart be cheerful. And I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with a seal. She sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You've cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezreel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in, set opposite him, and the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city, stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he's dead. And as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Rise. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Now, it's a story familiar to some, not so familiar to others. But I want to give you, there may be a reason that you want to listen today even. Maybe already you uh, want to listen because you're a garden-type person. You like vineyards and gardens. You have a garden, so your you, ears perked up. Hey, this is about a garden. You have a lifetime subscription to Better Homes and Gardens, so maybe that's the reason. But probably that reason, not, probably not going to get you to the place that we need to get to today. Some of you may not know. There are some that know, but there's a famous preacher of the last generation by the name of R.G. Lee. Now, not Robert E. Lee, but R.G. Lee, the preacher, and R.G. Lee... Uh, he was a preacher that preached in Memphis at Bellevue Baptist Church. Before that, he was at First Baptist Church of New Orleans. And, uh, but he preached a famous sermon, maybe the most famous sermon ever preached, called Payday Sunday. So famous was it, or so requested was it, that during his lifetime, he preached it 1,200 times. I'm glad you get, let me preach at least twice the same sermon. But he preached the same sermon 1,200 times. He preached about uh, sin and the judgment of sin and how the only way to be able to not follow the judgment of sin would be able to go to Christ. So he points to Jesus and lets people know, though, that there is a real problem with sin. There's real judgment that is to come. And the only way to escape the coming payday is through Jesus. Legend has it that, that sometimes when he preached the sermon, even before he was through, that the altar would be open, people wanting to give their life to Jesus. Some legend, I don't know if it's true or not, but the people are hanging on to the rafters, waiting for him to complete his message so that they might be able to not fall into the pits of hell so that they may 
be able to ask and receive Jesus. Now, why do I tell you this? Because the text for that sermon called Payday Sunday is 1 Kings chapter 21. It's about the vineyard of Naboth. And so you might want to listen today, see if Brother Jeff could preach as powerful a sermon. Well, I hate to disappoint. And while the Lord can do anything, you recognize with this preacher, there's only so much that can be done. He only has so much that maybe to be able to work with. All but what a humble privilege it is to be able to preach the good news about Jesus from this particular sermon. And I want to particularly get out of the way to let this passage speak to itself. But R.G. Lee is also known because he preached at this church, 1971. He preached, actually he preached at Parkway Baptist Church when Parkway was on the Parkway before it moved to this location. Did you know Parkway was named Parkway because it was on the Parkway? It's on Opelika Road. He preached in that. So we had kind of a famous person preach at Parkway. At least he's famous in some realms, maybe among preachers and sorts even today. So honored and privileged to be able to speak in the same church that R.G. Lee spoke in the same passage that R.G. Lee preached, but even humbled more to be able to preach the unsearchable riches of God's Word and the Lord Jesus Christ. You might also want to listen because the mistreatment by the rich and the powerful of the oppressed and the weak makes your blood boil. If you paid attention as we read before, injustice was taking place. Well, you know injustice. Maybe you've been mistreated perhaps sometimes with maybe little to no uh, effect on what you could do about it. Or you don't have to look very far to see injustice all around. And too often the privileged and the powerful seem to get away with murder, sometimes literally as in this passage. And while it seems that Ahab and Jezebel have gotten away with their scheme and they've stolen property and even murdered the innocent, you know that's not the end of this chapter. It's not the end of this story. God's watching. This is a reminder God's justice will prevail. No one gets away with abuse. No one gets away with mistreatment or even sin forever. God sees to it. And you know what? That's the kind of God that you want to know. It's the kind of God that you want to serve. Those may be reasons that you might want to listen, but this is what we're going to learn. God has the last say. Mistreatment of others and injustice will last only for a short time, but we have to go further. Because the vineyard, this vineyard story, this story about this wicked king and queen actually points to a Christ that is to come, to one who is going to set all things right. The Jesus, we know the Jesus that changes our paradigm, the one who switches the flip. He offers grace. We're going to find out even to the most cruel people in the world. Thank goodness he does because it may be that we're one of the ones who may have mistreated Someone at one time or another. We are the ones who, who are sinners without hope had it not been for Jesus. Jesus, the God of grace, will cause us to see all things differently. So today, let's think more like Jesus. And the wrath of a holy God is real, not just for the most cruel mean of this world, but for all sinners, unless something is done. You know, there might be some sins to it we need to avoid at all costs. You've got some notes there maybe to help you through the passage, some things that we might be able to learn. Here are some sins from this passage we might want to avoid at all costs. The first one is this. Do not allow your sinful nature cause you to covet. Do not allow your sinful nature to cause you to covet. It's part of our old nature. That sinful nature to want more. Thou shalt not covet. It's the Tenth Commandment, and it's a summary of many, many others. Coveting is wanting something more or something else that you do not have. I mean... 
It's been proven time and time again to try to find satisfaction in the things of this world is to discover enough is never enough. We've discovered that and we know that through actors and athletes and uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous. But if anybody should have been satisfied with the things of this world, you think it would have been the king and queen of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel, because they had at their, uh, at their discretion all the wealth of Israel. They had servants. They had an army that they could call on for whatever they needed. Of course, their names are synonymous for evil and cruelty and self-promotion. Now, the king of Israel, Ahab, he's got a summer palace in Jezreel. Next to or near his palace was a vineyard which belonged to Naboth. Little is known about Naboth except that we find out he is a man of godliness and uh, as well as integrity, and King Ahab wants what is not his. He offers another vineyard and even cash money, but Naboth does not give it up. Thus began the wicked scheme initiated by Jezebel and approved or endorsed by King Ahab. Now this was hardly out of character for this devilish duo, the king and queen, we understand, because they have done many wicked and evil things. They had many of the Lord's prophets killed. Whenever the Lord demonstrated his power before the king or the queen as well as other Israelites, we find that their heart just grew harder. Which is one more, what's one more cruelty among so many? But this particular story is not only Typical, but it also exemplifies a disregard for their care and their concern for anyone except themselves. Are you hearing me when I say that this is the king of Israel? He is the king of God's people, the ten northern tribes, but he is still the king of God's people, which is supposed to be unlike all the other kings who only promote and dictate for themselves. He's supposed to be one who is caring for the weak and for the innocent, but he's doing just the opposite. Now, I know you. And I know that none of you are as near as evil as Jezebel and Ahab. So hear me. We don't want to learn just not to be as bad as they are. We want to learn to be just the opposite. We want to strive for godliness and contentment with Christ. We still have that old nature that's looking around in our heart. Unless we're intentional, it's easy for us to have a desire for more for that which we do not have. So when does desire turn into sin? When is it that we are going to break the 10th commandment because it's very natural for us to look at somebody else's house or look at that car or that family or that vacation or that life and think boy that sure must be nice to have well maybe you've heard the song money can't buy me happiness but it can buy me a truck listen there's some truth there isn't it there's but if you've got a truck then you got to have a truck to pull it and then you've got to have a yeti cooler and you got to have stuff inside the cooler and truly the list never stops but we cross the line when we seek to find satisfaction in anything other than jesus the demon or the temptation of coveting is likely to continue to be around and never go away entirely but the more we pursue a growing relationship with jesus the easier it is to overcome the temptation to go and to desire the things of this world so another sin that we recognize after we know that we need to pursue Christ and not cover the things of this world. Another one of those sins that we need to avoid. Do not allow your complaints cause you to have a pity party or be self-absorbed. Don't allow your complaints cause you to have a pity party or be self-absorbed. Complaints justified or not should not cause us to fall into even more selfish indulgence or focus on self. 
Read again verse 4. We read it a moment ago. 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 4. To where it says, And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen, because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, <coughs> turned away his face, and he would not eat food. His wife Jezebel comes in and asks, Why are you so vexed and sullen? What's happening? Why are you laying on your bed with your face to the wall and you're not eating? And he says, in fact, you can hear his childlike kind of response. That Naboth, he won't give me his vineyard. I offered to buy it, offered to trade it for another vineyard, maybe even a better vineyard, but he wouldn't give it to me. Well, and she says, you know, if Jezebel had not perhaps the most wicked queen ever, I would almost commend her for her response because she says to the king, and I paraphrase, you're the king of Israel. Is this how you act? Get out of bed. Act like a man and not a baby or act like the king. Eat something and cheer up. And then she says, I'll get your vineyard for you. Spoiled brat of the king that he was. Can we get real for just a moment? Over the years, I have listened to a lot of complaints. I mean, it just kind of comes with the territory. And well, listening to complaints Sometimes in seeking to uh, listen intently and to be empathetic, I'll just have to be honest with you. You understand I'm not talking about anybody here. These are a long time ago, galaxies far, far away. But I, also, but I have a tendency to think, get over yourself. You got to get over this. And I'm, you know, speaking to men, I want to think, you know, act like a man, you know. In other words, find the solution. Stop all the whining that's taking place and get over yourself and... Move on, cheer up. Who told you life was fair? You know how God called the common fishermen to be the disciples and to go out and to change the world? The world would have never thought these men would have done it. I often think the Lord had a sense of humor when he called me to be a pastor. Because when I, sometimes when I hear complaints, I'm thinking, just stop your whining. Am I being too honest with you here? Listen, now would be a good time for you to understand that and to remind you these sins we're avoiding, like not coveting and not being self-absorbed and others will talk about these are not ways to get to heaven. These are not ways to become a follower of Jesus. These are ways that we are expected to behave as followers of Jesus. You know what the New Testament calls believers? We're part of the royal priesthood of believers. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 and following are known as the Proverbs lady. But the first nine verses of Proverbs 31... It's a mother that is giving advice to her son who is the king. The king is named Lemuel. Now, most of the Bible students think that this is a pseudonym for Solomon. This is some advice that uh, Solomon's mom had for him. One of those is to stay away from wicked women, plural. Solomon didn't follow that advice. But she also said, she said, stay away from strong drink like uh, wine and beer. It's mentioned wine and beer particularly. said, leave that stuff for those who are in anguish and in poverty. And then his mom tells the king, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 and 9. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all those who are destitute. Speak up for and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Boy, Ahab did just the opposite. Was only confirmed for himself. But don't you think for us, don't you think it's about time as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that we ought to start acting like we're children of a benevolent king? Also, we find as part of those sins that we need to avoid at all costs, do not allow your words or your actions cause you to lose integrity. 
Do not allow your words or your actions to cause you to lose integrity. I want you to read again and notice what Jezebel says as she, or what she does in verses 8 through 10. Verse 8, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with a seal. She sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. She wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast at Naboth at the head of the people and set them and let them bring a charge against him saying, you've cursed God, God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. Anything in there that speaks of truth whatsoever? She forged the king's name. She used the king's seal. She even, she even used religion as a precedent. She said, have a fast. You know, because it's a religious thing to do. And then a feast. And then set Naboth there at the head. You know, the, you know, as if he's the guest of honor or as if he's the most accused. It's hard to understand exactly what she's saying. He's going to be the most accused because in find worthless men. Some translations say find those men who are scoundrels because those are the men that, oh, it's easy to lie. It's easy for them to tell, not tell the truth for gain or for whatever, uh, whatever it is that the, the queen wants. Well, notice the description to two witnesses is unworthy. Those who are known for lack of integrity. That's, that should not be believers, should be followers of Christ. It surely shouldn't have been the king and queen of Israel. But us, wanting to do the opposite, we want all of our actions and words to be truthful so that people can trust what we say. I know that you have people in your life. Maybe it's a mom or dad or grandparent or maybe somebody that's a family member or certainly somebody from the church. You trust what they say. You trust every word. If they told you something outlandish, something that would be hard to believe, because they said it, you're probably thinking of somebody right now. You'd say, you know what? If they said it, I believe it would be true. We need to live such a life, speak such words, that people would believe the things that we say so that when we say something like, particularly to an unbeliever, you know, Jesus is the Savior of the world, and He wants to be your Savior. Well, they might believe we talk about this Jesus thing. This Jesus thing might be for real. That's why Jesus said it's important to let your yes be yes and your no be no. God's people are to be known as people of integrity. It was at the words of the two unworthy witnesses and the scheme of the wicked Queen Jezebel, they took an innocent man, brought him outside the city and stoned him to death so that King Ahab could have a vegetable garden. And God was watching. We would never be so cruel. But it does at least remind us of at least one more sin to avoid according to this passage. Do not allow your feelings or thoughts cause you to murder in your heart. Because somebody has hurt your feelings, somebody has said something against you, or somebody's mistreated you, or maybe somebody just rubs you the wrong way. Be careful of the anger or the resentment or hatred you harbor in your heart. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. He says, You've heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. There's judgment. We're talking about that today. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Through Jesus, and only through Jesus, are we able to love all people through Jesus and only through Jesus are we able to forgive and love them in Christ I think today you ought to thank the Lord for mean people in your life 
If for no other reason than if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're probably praying even more that the Lord would help you to be able to love those people so it's increased your prayer life. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 21, we read through 16. Look at verse 25. This is what there was none who sold himself to do what was evil. Speaking of Ahab, in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. <laughs> when it came to the kings of Israel, Ahab ranked among the worst, along with Jezebel, his wicked king. If anybody should be in a fear of judgment, should it not be an Ahab and Jezebel. But because God is holy, he cannot overlook sin, like coveting, selfishness, dishonesty, or even murder in the heart. Just four sins represented in this passage, and we know that there are. Were it not for Jesus, we would all be in fear of judgment. What we do going forward, it is incited because of what Jesus has done for you and what he has done for me. We don't do what we do so that we might earn our way, so that we might be forgiven. We're forgiven because of what Christ has done for us. Let's learn from this passage also how we might make intentional preparation as we move forward as believers. Have you considered why Naboth would not give Ahab his vineyard? Note his answer in verse 3. He said, The Lord forgive that I should give you the vineyard of my father. Well, much has been made by students of the Bible that Naboth really just loved that vineyard. I mean, it was his father's vineyard before him, and he just loved that vineyard. He wasn't going to give it up. Or uh, that it was a vineyard, meaning having something to do probably with grapes rather than a vegetable garden, what the king wanted to be done. He wasn't going to see his grapes turn into vegetables. It was the kind of thing. That, but I don't know if that was particular. Those things certainly might have been true. However, you may already know when the Israelites come into the promised land, they're given the land of inheritance, it's divided out of the land, and they're not to give it away. They're not to sell it. They're not to give it to anybody that's not of the family. It's to stay in whatever family that it has been in. Now, not everybody was following that as Israelites because they were not all being faithful, and maybe sometimes they would give it away. So who would have thought, you know, if he gave it away? Nobody else would have thought probably anything about it. He could have given it away. He might have given it away because he might feared the reprisal uh, the vengeance of the king and queen who were known for their cruelty. And as a matter of fact, it was well, <laughs> he would have had that, uh, certainly that is what took place. So we find here, instead, he did what God's word told him to do. We hardly live in a day where most people are living by the word of God. More of God's people should be, so that we might be able to see clearly who belongs to Jesus but we want to take seriously perhaps the words that the Lord told Joshua just before they entered to the promised land. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, we've got that on the screen for you. And it says this, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Listen, you want to have the promised land kind of life, not to where we have always healthier that we have riches, but the promised land kind of life to where we are striving and growing in Jesus regardless of what comes our way. Well, we're given a clue on how to do that. We find it in God's Word. And in order to know how to please the Lord, we must know more of His Word. Let's be dedicated to learning, studying, and applying His Word. So if we want to be intentional in our preparation, be ready to please God only. 
Be ready to please God only because of His Word and His Word alone and do what His Word says. Truth and right living, it's not known by random opinion. It's not known by random thought, but it's only known by the authority that is found in Scripture. How else might we make intentional preparations? Look again, we read it a moment ago, verse 13. 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 13. And it says, And the two worthless men came in, sat opposite him, and the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city, stoned him to death with stones. Do you see anything missing in that passage? You know, I think what bothers me more than the fact that Jezebel had this wicked scheme to go and to get rid of Naboth, after all, she was wicked. You know what bothers me more maybe than the two men? They, maybe it's easy to find worthless scoundrels who will lie about anything, you know, for a price. What bothers me? The city of Jezreel. Nobody spoke up. Uh, they knew he was innocent. They knew the charges were wrong, nor he never blasphemed God, nor did he curse the king. But nobody said a word or lifted a finger to help him. There was one man later. Didn't live in this city, probably did not even know of this event until God called him out. Later in this passage, look at verse 17. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to, there's our man again, Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who's in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, where he's gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. Our man Elijah, the one with a courageous heart, he's who we're learning from in this kind of series when we ask the question, what can God do? He confronts Ahab in the very garden that he stole and accuses him of killing Naboth, the owner of the garden, as if he stoned himself. And in truth, he said all this in motion and he could have stopped it at any time. Elijah often works alone with God's help. Or he's willing to go it alone if that's what it takes. He's told on more than one occasion that there are many who also still who are faithful in Israel. But here Elijah teaches us and helps us to know that we need to be ready to stand and speak for God and others. Even if you're the only one. Be ready to stand and speak for God and others even if you're the only one. We want to be ready to do the right thing. The best thing regardless if anybody else is doing it or not. I want to follow up with verses 20 and 21. 1 Kings 21, verse 20 says, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you've sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I'll bring disaster upon you. I'll utterly burn you up and will cut you off from Ahab, every male bond or free in Israel. Skip down to verse 23. Verse 23, it says, And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. In fact, three prophecies were given that day by Elijah from God. The first one, the dogs shall lick up the blood of Ahab. The second was, the dogs shall eat Queen Jezebel in that very city, in Jezreel, the very city in which they killed Naboth. And also that the royal family would be eaten by dogs and birds, apparently in that day. The dogs and the birds were the street cleaners of the garbage that was left. 
Now, I got to tell you, I debated how graphic that we would be today in telling you about these prophecies, but I decided, I guess, we would just let the God's Word speak. Yeah, but it's a warning to those who continue in sin, and particularly to those who mistreat others. God is watching. It's a promise to you if you've been treated unfairly or unjustly or your blood is boiling because of the injustice that takes place in the world. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's okay. You can put your trust in God's justice. Hebrews, New Testament, chapter 10 and verse 31 says it's a fearful and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In the meantime, we want to stand and we want to be ready to be faithful followers of Jesus. Look for ways to do what is right and what is good. Not long ago, we were in a large city with lots of homeless people in the city. And as we walk around the city, I'm kind of like you. And, you know, what do you do with the homeless folks that, uh, you know, uh, so many of them sometimes in some particular places and even around here, of course, cash doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, the proper thing to do always. And, but who are deserving and who is not? Well, we walked in at a restaurant in that downtown city, and there were three particularly that were on that very block, just literally feet or yards from the entrance into the restaurant. And as we ate there, right after we ordered, and this is my wife, and it's not me. Most of you know my wife, Kelly's much more compassionate than I am. She ordered three meals to go for the three that we saw right before we were coming in. I guess eating our nice meal knowing that there might be three starving outside probably just didn't sit right so we ordered our three we ate our meal we walked out with our three meals it was dark by now and as we walk out those three who had been sitting there are gone and there we are with our three meals so we went and searched for the homeless it's the first time I had this kind of search actually take place to where I'm in search at this time and we got the three meals and it surprised me because we had to walk several blocks actually before we found our first homeless person and a quick God's blessing and God loves you and we handed that meal and then found the second and then found the third and then almost as surprising in the dark streets of that city on our way back to our hotel we ran into many many more homeless and I had to be honest with you I thought well there's so many homeless out here we have really you know barely made a dent but perhaps we're feeling better about ourselves I guess but this this week I was reading in John chapter 5 about the healing of the man who'd been crippled for 38 years and he was waiting at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed and the, and the man said, I have no one to help me. And Jesus said, arise, take up your bed and walk. Immediately, the man stood up and walked. Guess what day it was? You probably know because it often happened on the Sabbath. So Jesus is getting troubles with the Pharisees. And, you know, you know, I love Jesus for lots and lots of reasons, but one of the reasons I think is because I think Jesus woke up every Sabbath and thought to himself, I wonder what kind of trouble I can get into today. Do you know that sometimes I think the same thing in some of the sermons in which I'm preaching as well? But uh, what really impressed me, though, reading this story this time, is that there must have been many lame and crippled people in Jerusalem on that day. And Jesus chose to heal this one. Well, now sometimes Jesus came into cities and it seems that he healed everybody in the city. But on this particular Sabbath day, he wanted to make a difference in one person. It teaches us, I think, that we need to be prepared to be intentional and be ready to make a difference for Jesus, even if for just one person. Be ready to make a difference for Jesus, even for just one person. Jesus does not save nations. He saves individuals, one person at a time. 
But if you and I are waiting to make a difference, maybe with only people who really deserve it, well, we may be waiting a long time. But the further the world moves away from God's plan, the more we want to be ready to make a difference for Jesus one person at a time. You may not be able to help everybody, but by following Jesus and with his help, you can help somebody, point somebody to Jesus. Speaking of people who make a difference, we're introduced to another prophet in the next chapter by the name of Micaiah, 1 Kings chapter 22. Three years after these events, Israel and Judah are preparing to go to battle against Syria, and Ahab has 400 prophets. Now, they're his prophets. They're not God's prophets, you understand, so they're false prophets. But Ahab goes to them and says, uh, and asks about, you know, what they thought about going into fighting this battle and of course they said what they thought Ahab wanted here of course you'll have victory in the battle Jehoshaphat's going to go with him in the battle as well he's the king of Judah and he says shouldn't we ask a prophet of God about this particular thing and so he insisted on doing that but notice 1 Kings chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 he says this he says but Jehoshaphat said is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we might may inquire and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me but evil. Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Ahab says, He never has anything good to say about me. <laughs> I wonder why. Let's read what Micaiah prophesied in verse 17. This is 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 17. Here he says this, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord says, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. In fact, he was prophesying that there, after this battle, there would no longer be a king in Israel. Does that verse sound familiar to you? I believe Jesus used that very image, that very verse perhaps in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Where he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus longed to be their king and longed to be their savior. And then you know what Jesus tells the disciples next? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Oh, we want to be part of the laborers for Jesus. What happened to Ahab and Jezebel? Well, three years later, after these events took place, after the prophecy but during this battle with Syria, a stray arrow landed a fatal blow and the king was taken in his chariot to Samaria. And there you know what the scripture says? The dogs licked up his blood. Several years later, 2 Kings chapter 9, in a dramatic fashion, in the city of Jezreel, where the very place in which they stole Naboth's vineyard and killing, in a dramatic fashion, they threw Jezebel's body over the wall. When they came to collect her body for burial, all they found were a skull, feet, palms of her hands. Because, as the scripture says, she'd been eaten by the dogs. Two of Ahab's sons actually came onto the throne, but not for long because God's justice will prevail. I suppose like many today, Ahab and Jezebel discussed the judgment of God and the prophecy of Elijah as if to believe that it would never come to pass. Look at that. Look what the prophet said. But look, here we are. Everything's going well. Nothing's happening to us. R.G. Lee, you remember the preacher that I said earlier told you about? You know what he said about this? He said, yeah, but I bet, I bet Ahab jumped every time a dog barked. Many believe God's justice is slow. 
or do not believe that there's anything to fear. But here's what to expect. Judgment is coming. It is inevitable. For the wages of sin is death. It's more than just the, end, the beginning of the Roman road. It's more than what the preacher uses in order to, to have a scare tactic. All sin must be judged. Old Testament, Numbers 32, verse 23 says, Be sure that your sins will find you out. And then we find it toward the very end of the Bible. We find these ominous words in Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and verse 8. It says, Bass for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Judgment is coming. What to expect? Judgment is coming. It is inevitable, but also... Judgment is paid in full by the blood of Jesus. Let's say again what's been preached from this pulpit now for 53 years. Jesus took your place on the cross. Justice had to prevail. It was either him or me. It was either him or you. Somebody has to pay the price of sin. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to save even the worst of us who asked for his forgiveness. Did you know that Ahab showed signs of repentance? Oh, if you can hang with me for a moment, I'd sure like to show you. Verse, we're back in 1 Kings 21, verse 27. It says, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, talking about the judgment that was coming, tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh, fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. The Lord delayed the judgment that was to come due to the signs of repentance. It was God's desire all along that Ahab would repent of his sins and they would put his faith in the living God. But the events of the next chapter revealed that while Ahab may have been sorry for his sins or sorry for God's judgment, his was not a genuine repentance or a genuine faith in God. But oh, how God wants to save everyone. Even the most cruel, even the meanest. Naboth's vineyard story of the garden might remind you of another story in the Bible because there was a garden that was created and it was a perfect garden God himself the Lord himself tilled planted, watered the garden like heaven we can only imagine the perfection of that garden of Eden Satan himself wanted that garden more than that, he wanted the souls of Adam and Eve and all of their descendants. And so came temptation and sin entered the world. When the owner of the garden came to earth, Satan he knew that he needed to rid, get rid of the owner if he was going to keep the gardens of this world, the fallen gardens of this world, the souls of the children of Adam and Eve. So like Naboth, Jesus was the guest of honor at an execution. Worthless men lied about him. But he did not blaspheme God, nor did he even blaspheme the kings of this world. But they took an innocent man out of the city, and they crucified him. Instead of speaking up for him, all the crowd yelled, Crucify him! Crucify him! In fact, those that were closest to him, instead of lifting a finger to help, instead they betrayed him, they denied him, or they ran away. The creator and owner of the perfect garden died that day in public execution. It was a Friday. Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb, perhaps a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to use it for very long. But Satan and all of his followers thought maybe they've gotten away with murder. 
But on that great resurrection morning, Jesus rose from the grave, and it was a Sunday. And he conquered Satan, sin, and death forevermore. Now one day we'll have a full realization of the complete justice for all before our very eyes. But I can assure you, because the Bible tells us so, justice has already been declared in Jesus finally and forevermore. And while judgment for our sins must be dealt with, every person here, every person alive, every person listening has two choices. Every person has two choices, judgment or Jesus. Will you choose Jesus today? He has already made provision, but today you can experience His grace firsthand. If you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can experience grace firsthand. And if you know Jesus today, if you've chosen Him already, be ready today. Be ready to please Him in all that you do. Be ready to speak up for Him and for others as well on His behalf. And be ready to make a difference because of the difference that Christ has made in you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father. We thank you for what your word has to say to us. We thank you for this Bible story that really took place that you have used already before to speak to many people. We pray, Father, that it will speak to us today. Those of us who are believers today, Father, because we've realized what Jesus has done for us, because Jesus has paid the price of just judgment, that he is the God of justice, and at the same time he has forgiven us of our sins, help us to be ready to please you in all things. Be ready to speak for you. Speak on your behalf. Help us to be ready to make a difference. And Father, we pray for those who may be here today or someone listening that does not know you as Savior and Lord. May the God of justice be the very reason that we want to give everything and all of who we are over to Jesus today. May today somebody be ready to ask Christ to forgive them of their sins and ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord so that they may have life and eternal life. Thank you, Father, for your watch care over us. As we continue in worship, continue to speak to our hearts and the things that we need to do and how we need to pursue you even more. It's in Jesus' name we pray.